0: Welcome to Health or Consequences, Commonwealth's magazine uh, podcast devoted to state public health policy and, and public health issues. I'm one of the co-hosts, Paul Hattis of the Law Institute, here with my colleague John McDonough of the T.H. Chan uh, Harvard School of Public Health. And... Um, We decided, built off of a last podcast that we did with Carlene Pavlos of the Mass Public Health Association focusing on statewide public health issues in this COVID era, both about COVID and and, and other public health uh, issues that continue to challenge us in the state. It intrigued John and I to wanna dive a bit deeper into uh, these issues at a local public health level. And in that regard, we're delighted to have two guests with us today. Phoebe Walker, and Ruth Morey. Phoebe is the Director of Community Services for the Franklin Regional Council of Governments, including its regional planning agency in Massachusetts, most rural county. Uh, She has served as the Special Commission for Local Regional Health in Massachusetts and Western Mass Public Health Association's representative on the Coalition for Local Public Health. She also sat on the Governor's COVID-19 Vaccine Advisory Group and recently appointed to the Massachusetts Food Policy Council. Ruth Mori is the president of the Mass Association of Public Health Nurses and a local public health nurse and school health nurse leader in Wayland, Massachusetts. She's been a leader in the Coalition for Local Public Health, working for both the statewide Accelerated Public uh, Health for Every Community Coalition. I think you're all going to hear a little bit more about that effort legislatively in a minute and advancing efforts to obtain really ARPA funds for the state. She's quite active in COVID issues as well as on local
1: public health nursing workforce issues. Thank you both for joining us. John, I turn it over to you. Okay, thank you, Paul, and welcome Phoebe and Ruth. It's a pleasure and honor to have you with us. I'll start with a question to Phoebe Walker from Franklin County. So, Phoebe, we're more than two years into COVID-19 and all of the incredible consequences in so many different ways. Uh, Where is public health in Massachusetts, particularly at the local level, uh, two years into the epidemic? And what have we learned from this experience? And can you make any predictions about what you see into the future, particularly from the local point of view?
2: Sure. Um, I think it's probably worth starting just to, set one piece of context, which is how we are different from every other state. Um, So before the pandemic, um, long before the pandemic, um, Massachusetts has uh, the most decentralized local public health system in the country. That mostly comes from the fact that we were towns before we were ever a state. And we have this home rule um, system where the locus of authority in our communities is at the town level, not at any kind of county level. And so that has resulted in a system in which Massachusetts, unlike pretty much every other state, neither has workforce standards, performance standards or stable funding for local public health. So each of our towns has to decide what kind of prevention and protections do they want to actually pay for out of their tax revenue. Um, And what we found in the course of this pandemic was that um, those differences are pretty dramatic and resulted in really uneven um, results for the residents um, of Massachusetts. Uh, So before the pandemic even started, there was a group of us that were very involved in creating the Special Commission on Local and Public Health, which worked for a couple of years to kind of assess what is our system like here, how does it compare to other states, what do we need to do? And released a report in 2019 that's called the Blueprint for Public Health Excellence. So the good news is we knew that we we know what to do to be a better system. We didn't know it was going to be so urgent to become a better system. Um, but basically, at the start of the pandemic, most people in Massachusetts didn't really have any idea what their local public health department did for them. And because there were such different um, standards and uh, in terms of what communities provide for people, we had a really uneven system of protections when everybody suddenly got COVID. And then it became clear that this really shouldn't be a local level decision, um, whether you were gonna have a public health nurse or not. Everybody needed one in this crisis and the state was forced to spend somewhere upwards of $160 million to create a community tracing collaborative to fill the gap left by town's lack of public health nursing capacity. And that's a real tragedy, because that money was then not invested in any kind of long-term solution to our problems. But at least we had the blueprint. And I think the good news is that the leadership in Massachusetts noticed that our structure wasn't up to the task, and that there were really dramatic and inequitable differences in the protections people had during this pandemic. Um, and so working with some really dedicated legislative champions, we now have the bill that um, uh, you were just mentioning, uh, which is going to hopefully move forward on implementing all those recommendations from the commission and move our state into at least the 20th century if not the 21st um, so we're really at a, a kind of an exciting place in terms of the future I would say in terms of the the past um, you know everybody in local public health is completely exhausted we are absolutely at the end of our ropes um, uh, so I would say in terms of the workforce everybody has just had, such a relentlessly difficult two years, Um, but the future looks bright, which is really great. Mm
1: -hmm. I don't know what you wanna add, Ruth. Ruth, do you wanna add anything to that?
3: No, I just definitely would like to echo everything that Phoebe had said, and just, um, I think in terms of the local public health workforce in general, and I will specifically state in terms of local public health nursing, that this is really a very exciting time, um, that we're coming out of some very difficult um, moments that occurred within the last two years. And really in terms of nursing workforce in general, has really affected um, ourselves going forward. And I think that this legislation coming in and you know, additional funding that we may be talking about later as well is gonna make a tremendous difference on um, funding our local public health group in terms of uh, for the Commonwealth that is only going to benefit every resident within the Commonwealth. And I think that is really why we fight every day to support all aspects of local public health because these are many of them are prevention based um, interventions some of them can be immediate some of them are really long term and i think that is what is hard to fight for dollars regarding legislation is that individ- in general people are looking for a quick fix for their funding dollars Um, rather than an investment and local public health needs and deserves in Massachusetts an investment. So
1: so if I'm hearing you both correctly, then you're saying that the COVID-19 pandemic was really kind of the, in political science terms, we call it the focusing event that really put a spotlight on local public health and is likely going to lead to a stronger, better system into the future. Is that a fair summation of what you're saying?
2: That's our hope. And I don't think we should be able to live with ourselves if it doesn't turn out that way. I mean, if we didn't, if, you know, if if this wasn't proof that leaving this up to individual taxpayer, you know, funding, um, is, isn't a good idea. I don't know what would be.
1: Okay.
0: And I'll turn it over to Paul. Well, let me, let me build a little bit on the challenge in terms of what COVID brought us, uh, and, um, perhaps predictable, perhaps not. And maybe it's the politics of the times too, but we've also read how local public health officials in trying to do their work around COVID have been harassed and villainized at times, both across the nation, often tied to vaccine and, and testing mandate issues. Uh, you know, Mayor Wu was on the podcast uh, last week talking about uh, the daily protest she still faces outside in, in front of her home you know, as, as a result of some of her employment related vaccine policies in Boston. But in your own local communities, has protests or other kinds of sort of negative things been a challenge for you? Or uh, how have you heard and things that you've heard around for local public health leaders across the state in this regard? Ruth, I'll start with you about that.
3: Yeah, sure. Thank you, Paul. I mean, I think some of the frustration is just the ongoing exhaustion that everyone is feeling regarding the pandemic. Um, I think that, you know, we are in public, we as local public health officials are, you know, under in support and are leaders within all of our communities. We are population based. And so our goals are to, do what is best for our population, both with, you know, in the entire Commonwealth, as well as um, regionally, and then in our own local communities. And um, this has been a very emotional um, situation in the last two years, and um, I think just in terms of the the overall effects of what has concerned. Um, individuals we're all at our breaking points I think in terms of how we are feeling acting I, I think it's it's extremely upsetting that we have very important individuals who are walking away from local public health because they're this is like the the uh, straw that broke the camel's back mm-hmm. it was just the you know, many of us throughout COVID um, were working seven days a week, 10 to 12 hours a day. Not everyone was compensated for all the time that they've, they've worked. So I think in general, the, the issue is that we cannot um, allow ourselves to be um, villainized when our job And our role is to support the public. And I think what we need to remember, and that's why, you know, we as a coalition of local public health also, which is a group of um, the six organizations in regards to um, all of our professional, individual professional organizations within the Commonwealth, we come together um, and, and we act in unity to, ask individuals to stop um, some of this extreme um, reactions to decisions that they may not choose for themselves. But the reason for it is that we are all community-based. Our country was founded on the essence of community. And the essence of community means to look at The entire situation and not just particular individuality at times. And I think that is what's difficult is as we continue to grow as our nation, um, we've become much more individualized um, and we need to remind ourselves and get back to ensuring we know our neighbors who are who are our elder at risk on our streets when the power goes out? Do we know if they have somebody who is gonna make sure that they have, a, they have enough blankets to keep them warm and those types of things? So I think it's all getting back to the essence of community and that we should all treat others as though we would like to be treated.
0: KB, any, any thoughts you wanna add about this issue?
2: Yeah, I think that um, there have been numerous incidents of you know, serious harassment, aggression, um, often mixed in with anti-Semitism and other kinds of discrimination um, to local public health officials. There are numerous public health officials who've quit their jobs. Um, there is a, a giant reshuffling and uh, workforce crisis really, be, uh, because the combination of the exhaustion people are facing and the fact that until now, there hasn't been any real state support for this function or sort of respect, you know, sort of baked in institutional respect for these roles. It makes it hard for people to know to even want to be in these roles. And then the people who are in them are exhausted and sick of getting beaten up and quitting. Um, I think that one, one thing that was particularly difficult is that when the governor ended the emergency order, if there were going to be any public health protections, they were going to be put in place by individual local boards of health. And the Massachusetts uh, residents were pretty fine to go along with what the governor said when the governor said to do it. But they were shocked to learn that there's somebody who's a volunteer in their town who has the same authority, who can shut their restaurant down, who can make them wear a mask, you know. Um, And that really surprised a lot of people. And a lot of people who I think were already, thanks to the last Four or five years in our country pretty pretty um, revved up to be suspicious of government. And so to learn that some elected neighbor of yours is telling you you must wear a mask at work was shocking to people because they didn't understand the, the role of local boards of health. Um, so yes. that was a particularly um, uh, made it really hard when it became the local responsibility to react to um, cases and
0: you want to add it here. Go ahead.
3: Yeah. The other thing in regards to that, and those are all really important, um, aspects that are, um, those listening to the podcast understand, but the other, the other component of it too, is then that pitted essentially communities against each other. Mm -hmm. So, so when it was at the state, it was universal then, you know, and I know that when Carlene, um, from the Public Health Association was on, she really focused on equality and the significance of fighting for equality throughout communities, um, that that should be obviously uh, a standard and is deserved by our public. But that affected the equality and decision-making. And then we, in terms of the health department, had to manage those situations and that's where it became extremely difficult. So, if our abiding by neighbors did not make the same decision, um, you know, it felt as though we couldn't win. We couldn't make a decision that benefited all because everybody was doing something different. Right. And again, some of that also gets into um, the issue of having a decentralized public health system within. Massachusetts.
1: Okay, so um, for both of you, but starting with Phoebe, when a big crisis like COVID happens, it tends to distract attention, push aside lots of other compelling issues. Um, did that happen mm-hmm. for both of you in this? And what kinds of things did you have to lay to one side and not address that you really regretted having to do that?
2: Well, um... I would say that one thing that people may not really realize is that while it's obvious that public health nurses and contact tracers were busy around the clock, right, Uh, contacting people and their contacts and answering questions and supporting people, there's another whole field of people in local public health, which are health agents and inspectors. And those folks also were in constant communication with restaurants, summer camps, town halls, with all of the, as you may remember, the guidance changed with, um, surprising speed. Um, and so it would frequently be that we would find out on a Friday morning that there was new rules about how many people could be in a restaurant or whether a restaurant could be open or what could happen with town meetings. or And then there was an immediate flurry of, of communicating that out and answering people's questions and answering people's anger about a rule, again, that we didn't have, we didn't make, but we had to enforce. And so um, even even our health agents, you know, were very, very busy across Massachusetts communicating that stuff and supporting restaurants in particular through all the hoops that they had to jump through. Um, So yeah, there's a lot we didn't do. I mean, there's a lot of food inspections that didn't happen this year, a lot of housing inspections that didn't happen because we weren't sure it was safe to go in people's homes, you know, and people couldn't be evicted. So a lot of that um, process. So there's a huge backlog now of of food and, um, food and housing in particular, I would say across the state. Another thing that, um, health agents, as some of your listeners may know, are very involved in, and nurses as well, is, um, licensing summer camps. And there were some serious changes to summer camp guidance over the last few years. And that requires a lot of, a lot of time and energy, uh, too. So I would say we were, you know, one of the other ways that we, um, we are funded is through permit revenue, right? Um, And so uh, there were certainly some serious downturns, right? No fares for a couple of years, Um, but there have also been out where I live in rural Massachusetts, a lot of the rest of you were moving out here. Um, And so you were building new septic systems and new homes and that required a lot of work as well and drilling private wells that require a permit. So, um, So there was a lot of work that could not be stopped. You know, our Title V inspectors which is septic system rules for those of us who are not on town sewer um we're busy you know absolutely round the clock uh just crazy busy the whole time never stopped working um in in terms of COVID
1: and 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 Ruth did you have to put anything on the back burner in Wayland
3: you know there's a lot that gets put back on the back burner um not just for Wayland but all of our communities and so um you know when the schools were closed, that allowed us to help um uh, have our school nurses. So Wayland actually is an unusual community in that our school nurses are under the health department rather than school yeah. department. But even our school nurses who were under the um school departments, you know, are public health nurses, right? So public health nurses not just take care of individuals, but they take care of populations. So whether it's their school population or whatnot, but they, so, so there was a lot of time that we needed to spend onboarding those nurses being on some of the, um, we call it MAVEN, which is the, um, the state program that we utilize in, in at our local health departments in regards to communicable disease you know surveillance and follow up, which is where all of our COVID cases, you know, were flooding into. Um, so that you know also took initial time, and then you know setting who's who's following up with what. Um, but it but and honestly, for public health nurses, it was constant. And with the changing guidance, we could actually be on the phone providing guidance. The new information comes out. And we were trying to figure out, do we just call all those people back that we've just already spoken to, or do we just keep going, you know, Mm -hmm. so, um, or then they would call back and you just told me this, and now it's this, and how does that apply to me, so, and how does that affect my family, Um, all really, really important pieces, Um, and I think you know, one of the things that Phoebe talked about in regards to all the funding that went to the CTC, and in all honesty, we in CLPH, the Coalition of Local Public Health, our groups asked for additional support because public health nurses are in sort of an area of retirement, like many of the healthcare system, but also over the years, when Communities need to decide on dollar allocation. Um, Public health nurses, when they've retired, have not always been put back into the budget. So we have a real reduced number of public health nurses. I can tell you firsthand that public health nurses, which is why um, the CTC funding, you know, if we could have had the capacity, would have been fabulous to infuse into local public health kept our residents out of the hospitals. Mm -hmm. We were following up with residents who were new and on our caseloads, working with their physicians, ensuring that they were getting medications such as uh, inhalers, albuterols, keeping those lungs open so that they were not having to go to the hospital. We took care of very, very, at-risk individuals who would otherwise have to have been hospitalized. And that's really not something that we think about um, in terms of what we've done in terms of the pandemic. Um, if I didn't have, and I know across the Commonwealth, the pub, our public health nurses, with support of all of our team in our health departments, we did not have that we would have had higher fatalities, um, you know, definitely in the Commonwealth related to COVID, especially when we didn't have vaccine intervention and and before all of that. Um, so, you know, and we worked with families. We worked with families who were going through, who did have, you know, they did have their loved one in the hospital, and we would call them and see how they're doing. Um, the, we are people who are connected to our communities. We know our residents. We know what they feel connected to us. So it's not a stranger calling them and asking them all of these questions. It's it's really neighbor calling neighbor, okay. um, even well, if we don't live in the community we serve.
1: We have to turn it over to Paul for our final question,
0: right? Let me let me ask you then, both of you, a sort of a forward going question. You know, when you've talked about your infrastructure. You've talked about funding challenges and you've alluded to or you both have described we're the only state where every city and town has its own board of health making decisions we don't rely on counties as local leaders does this all make sense or should it be changed do we need a new statewide law that reorganizes uh how we you know provide local public health services A.G. Healy has just announced that I think half of the, of the opiate settlement monies are going to go to, to local localities to use. What are your thoughts about organization funding going forward? Uh, Ruth, why don't we start with you?
3: Sure, I thought it was really exciting to see that information um, from Maura Healy in regards to this funding coming. I think in general, um, if we can have state funding, Um, And then there's federal funding, which is, the short name is ARPA, but it's um, funding that's coming both to the state as well as local governments who have now obtained those funds. But also the state is receiving millions and millions of dollars. That's really like a one-time investment program to really focus on local public health and our as we many, those of us in public health would call it a broken system. Um, it should not matter where in the Commonwealth you live, you are should be afforded the same protections equally, um, not whether you're, where you reside have the tax dollars to support what the community needs. I think with the money coming in regards to the opioid crisis that actually did somewhat are addressing those on the local level, certainly got changed um, and reprioritized to COVID. But look at our mental health fallout. Look at our increased risk of um, individuals falling into drug addiction and all of those components. Funding should be allocated to mental health services, in my opinion, as well as how to support with treatment centers and treatment programs because not everyone can afford that via their insurance. And that shouldn't matter whether you can fund it or not. It should be an automatic protection that is there for those who need it. Um, and not just those who need it, but the families who support these individuals when they re- are no longer a part of a treatment program. Um, but, uh, you know, definitely, I think funding bottom line is what's going to make a difference in local public health.
0: Thank you. Amy, what are your thoughts about this?
2: I would say funding is good, but you need the policy structure um, to spend it. And that's what that safe 2.0 bill is that you referenced earlier and that we've mm-hmm. been hard at work with representatives Kane and Garlic and Senator Comerford um, to sort of see this bill shepherded through. Essentially, it's a bill that would Make mandatory the recommendations of the um, blueprint that I was describing earlier, and is um, you know is basically broken down into four buckets. It would create new requirements and new funding, um, and the requirements would be around workforce credentials. Right now, uh, honestly, an animal control officer, a tree warden, has more required training than a local health official, a local health uh, inspector. Um, It would require performance standards so that everybody in every zip code has the same level of protection as we've just been discussing. It would create new stable state funding so that we can join the other 49 states as um, recognizing the importance of this work. And it would create a data collection system that sounds small but is actually huge, absolutely huge, that we know nothing about what is happening at the local level. Um, In this state, we have no ability like they do in Connecticut to pull a report off a shelf and see what's happening in our local health system in Massachusetts. So um, that system would be both one that can be used locally to do the work and gather the data like in food inspections, you know, that kind of thing, and also report it up to the state and also pull state data back down. So um, that's a huge undertaking, but we believe that the $200 million that we were all successful in advocating for over the next four or five years of ARPA funds will be what sets that system up and gives the Commonwealth time to figure out how to consistently fund it moving forward and do the right thing by local public health and join this the other good.
0: states. Thank you. We're going to have to leave it there, but Phoebe Walker, Ruth Mori, thank you so much for giving our listening audience uh, some important perspectives on local public health, where it's been and, and where it needs to go in this state. Thanks again.
2: Thanks for having us. Thank you.